0: Hey everyone, and welcome to the Stay of the Art podcast with me, your host, Ethan Appleby. I'm very excited to bring you along as I dive into conversations with amazing people who are at the intersection of art and technology. Each week, you'll hear a different angle about how tech is bringing radical change in the way all of us interact with art. We have on artists to first-time collectors, as well as CEOs from some of the top digital art companies. We'll also look at the effects social media sites and crowdsourcing platforms are having on the art world and explore how other creative industries such as music and fashion were democratized using technology. So before we get started, I want to ask, did you catch our earlier episode with Patreon, the site that gets creators paid by running a membership business for their fans? Look, we liked it so much and were so inspired that we created our own Patreon page. Really, we did it for two reasons. One, it lets us connect with you, our fans and listeners. And two, it helps us continue to make great content, get on better speakers, and find creative ways to continue this conversation with art and tech. So look, you can pledge as little as a dollar and become one of our patrons. To do so, check out patreon.com slash art In this episode, I'm excited to welcome the CEO and co-founder of Absolute Art, Nahema Mehta. Nahema has described her career path as being more like a jungle gym than a ladder. But it's a jungle gym that's led her to do the incredible work to make art more accessible than ever. Today, I'm excited to talk to Nahema about how her extraordinary background prepared her for work in the art and tech world, Absolute's long history of working with some of the most incredible artists in the world, and why solving so-called boring problems is a crucial element in her quest to democratize access to art. So please, Allow me to welcome today's guest, Nahema Mehta. I'm here with Nahema. Welcome to State of the Art Podcast.
1: Thank you, Ethan. So happy to be here.
0: So you really had an amazing career path. And I love that you describe your career as a jungle gym and not a ladder. Yeah. T- t- let's, like, I want to hear more about it because like, unlike any guest, like, you have a really, um, a really fun background.
1: Yeah, so I definitely didn't take the traditional career ladder, as you say, which is why I like to uh, steal Sheryl Sandberg's term and talk about a jungle gym, because that's what it really has felt like. Um, I grew up between Antwerp and Nairobi, and I moved to the US for university. Um, I attended Columbia and also did my business school degree there. And uh, I really was following a more traditional path at the time. I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. I did a stint with uh, Chief Justice Roberts doing speech writing, realized I didn't really love the law in terms of practice, um, but just the study and thought of it.
0: What are three things that we'd be surprised or interesting facts about your time there?
1: see what I'm allowed to talk about, (laughs) Um, I'll give you one that's really good, which is uh, there is a basketball court above the actual Supreme Court. And um, the justices play pickup games and uh, O'Connor and Ginsburg um, actually do yoga. And they are incredibly flexible and highly athletic more so than I ever was or will be. (laughs) Um, So I will give you that because that's probably the most interesting piece. it's,
0: It's the highest court in the land.
1: Highest court in the land. And actually, it's off limits during session because if a basketball falls, it obviously makes this horrendous noise and interrupts the proceedings. I so. love that.
0: Sorry. <laughs> All right, continue.
1: Yeah. And so I, when I realized law wasn't necessarily the right path, I then went again and fell into more traditional plays. So I fell into private equity, which – um is wonderful. You learn a lot, but I didn't really feel excited to get out of bed every morning. Um, So I actually started building something on the side. So I would wake up at four in the morning until nine and build something that I was passionate about, which was art rumba, which was making art accessible and democratizing access to art at a time when democratizing access to art wasn't an overused (laughs) term
0: what in your either career or life led you to want to start Art Rumba?
1: I think I've always been quite cross-disciplinary in the way that I think. So whether it was doing... um the law or finance uh, or just starting a business, I always sort of looked at it from all angles. And one thing that I noticed with the art world was, you know, I'd have friends come over to my place and see the art on my wall and ask me, where did you get that? And my immediate reaction was, let me take you to the artist studio or the gallery. They need your support. And I know that you need something other than the poster you've had since university, right? Um and what I realized was looking at that ecosystem from a business, legal, logistical perspective, I realized it was quite cumbersome and pretty difficult and intimidating to interact with. So not only did the art world feel a little intimidating to even enter into, but even once you're in it, the logistics of how art is distributed was also quite cumbersome.
0: Yeah. So so you grew up with art though?
1: I did, yes. Um, my family have been longtime collectors, and actually, every time we would visit a new country, the first two stops were a museum and a local restaurant. So we always saw new cities and learn new things through art.
0: That's great. So, so it started off as just—I mean, you grew up with art; you had it in your apartment. Friends would come over; they get excited. You take them on tours, and of, of studios and then kind of realized, hey, you know, this is cumbersome that there's something here.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and what it came down to is I was talking to both sides of the equation, right? The artists and the gallerists, as well as my friends who wanted to meet each other. And what you'll notice is if you walk into most galleries, you'll see maybe 20 artworks on the walls. But what you often don't realize is that underneath your feet, under the floorboards, there are hundreds sitting in storage, right? And that was dormant inventory. And And it was good inventory. Like it could have just shown at a show, but because it has just shown, won't show again for another year or so. So the question I started to ask myself is, how do we make it beneficial for both sides? How do we mobilize and monetize that inventory for the gallerist and the artist and also get incredible artworks to um, people like my friends who are looking to outfit their homes or their offices, right? And so the conversation we started having was there was an innate fear of collecting. So we thought about different models, but we sort of said, okay, let's try renting, right? Yeah. Let's see if you can sort of try it out and take that first step into collecting um, and use that as a model towards purchase and towards connecting these two.
0: Yeah. And, and one thing you, you talk about democratizing uh, access i mean you know a lot of people talk about democratizing the art world how when you say access like how does that differentiate from maybe how other people think about democratizing the art world
1: yeah so for me the term um democratizing art is very very broad um and the reason i like to differentiate to the term democratizing access to art is because i think what needs to be more accessible is the art world that already exists, right? Yeah. So for me, it was it was important to say, okay, there's a wonderful art ecosystem that already exists, but how do we open up access to it, right? So that was, was my focus. It wasn't really about um, anyone can be an artist or democratize art in that way, which I think is a wonderful mission and other people's mission. Mm-hmm. But for me, the more interesting question was, why aren't more people... Interacting with this incredible industry that has so much to offer, yeah. and artists at the end of the day working there, they need to find collectors mm. and patrons as well, right? So, how do we make it beneficial on both sides?
0: Yeah. So and, that's great. And we're going to go into that. But what when you you said you woke up at four a.m., which is, which is quite early. <laughs> I didn't
1: have a social life. If I, that's, that's any that's fair. consolation. Yeah, like, what time do you go to bed? My so, husband was. <laughs> not my husband now not at the time um was uh yeah probably well,
0: not so <laughs> was there? was there a, a do you remember sort of a distinct conversation or just you know turning point that then you know led you to wake up the next day at 4 a.m like how did it what was the spark
1: so the spark is kind of funny because um <laughs> my husband and I were both working in finance and he would wake up every day with a smile on his face mm-hmm. and I would not. Yeah. And it's because he was very passionate about what he did. And that actually led me to realize that you can be passionate about what you do. Um, And for him, that was finance. And for me, it wasn't. Yeah. So I think after a little while, that sort of sparked, oh, let me just do something that's going to make yeah. me happy on the side. And it really wasn't waking up and saying, I'm going to start a business. In all honesty, I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs, but I never really heard the term entrepreneur, right? Mm-hmm. It was much more just a mindset and a way of, of going about doing work, just trying to solve problems in creative ways, right? Um, so I didn't think of it as this big, oh, I'm gonna start a startup or any of that. And I think that was to my benefit because I was naive about the whole thing. I just sort That's of good. started, right? Yeah. And I I didn't worry about anything because this wasn't the be all end all. It was just something I was doing for fun and for passion's sake and to connect these two groups of people that I cared deeply about.
0: Yeah. So you you woke up and you you worked with people or you you talked with uh your your husband or soon-to-be husband at the time about different ideas. What was the insight that led you to the rental model?
1: Well, the insight was, you know, I studied, I mean, I studied anthropology um, and languages as my first degree before doing my MBA. And and the insight really came down to understanding the psychological reason of why people weren't engaging with the art world or why they felt like they didn't have permission to. And the insight that I
0: I like that term didn't have permission to.
1: Right, right. Because people just feel like they need some special membership card or key or language to even engage with the art world, right? And giving them the permission to learn about it without being judged or talked down to, I think is very important. So the insight was really around how do you Collapse those barriers, right? How do you eliminate the fear and how do you encourage people in their own time and in their own way to interact with art? So the rental model sort of accomplished two things. It one, allowed people to take that first step without feeling overwhelmed by the commitment because it was temporary. But two, it also allowed people to start trusting and evolving their own taste right? Mm-hmm. Because what it does for a person is it, it validates your choice in that if you don't like it, you can send it back. Essentially, it's the same thing as a return policy, mm-hmm. right? A 30-day return policy, which happens all the time in the art world. But I think what's interesting is at the highest echelons of the art world, a gallerist will give you an artwork to have for two, three weeks, right? To see if you want to live with that artwork. And I was just curious about why that wasn't extended to a larger audience. Um, And of course, the reason is because insurance was really difficult and there were a lot of problems to solve around it. And gallerists and artists have better things to do than work to solve those issues. So I went about trying to figure that out. And I can promise you, I had multiple doors slammed in my face, especially yeah. with the insurance dealers, until I started talking about it as co-curated, co-creating co a new way of thinking about interacting with art, at which point people sort of hopped on board because they wanted to be part of something different. <laughs> um, and the last element I'll say with uh, the rental is the psychology was not really to say you were going to send it back. The psychology was to... It was, was designed to really encourage you to keep the artwork. And what I mean by that is, you know, at the time I was paying rent in New York and I hated that, right? Your money just basically flushes down the toilet and it's such – it's so horrifying to watch every time. So I was like, okay, no. For the rentals that we do, anything that you pay in rental will go towards purchase. And so people, when they have it on their wall and if they do love it, they already feel like they're investing in this piece, and it's we. Kind had, of a lease. Exactly, it's like leasing. And honestly, by month three, we had between 25 and 30 percent of our clients purchasing the artworks.:
0: Wow. So is it just you at this point?
1: It's just me and my full-time job. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. and
1: and everyone that i uh, brought on board to support. So one thing that has helped me i think through life in general is surrounding myself with people who are smarter than i am yeah. and bringing them in as co-creators of whatever you're creating. And i i did that from the insurance to the gallerists. You know, i built i built this model with the people who would benefit ultimately from it and they offered uh, help and chugged us along until we were Profitable within three months of operation, which was uh, quite something (laughs) because we had just sort of bootstrapped and done our thing. And
0: and, and you're all part time.
1: Yeah, yeah. At this point, I was. That's amazing. At this point, I was. Yeah.
0: So, so where where does it go from here? I mean, you're, you're doing this. You're part. Do you start full time? Do you?
1: Yeah. So. At this point, when I realized there's some traction, I realized, okay, I need to sort of take this seriously. And being a lifelong, my mom would say academic, um, and I would say learner in hopefully a more uh, lighthearted tone, uh, I, I decided to um, torture myself and go to business school. And I said, okay, let me just learn also just the mechanics of it, right? Because the idea is there, everything is there, let's just see if I can help create an ecosystem to build this out. Um, And whilst I was at business school, I was speaking at a conference about the future of luxury and e-commerce. And unbeknownst to me, um, Absolute was in the audience, right? And a week later, I get uh, an email from the conference head. And he says, you know, there's someone who wants to meet with you. I can't tell you who they are. You have to sign a 12-page NDA. You know, I promise you won't die. (laughs) <laughs> it's like, great. You but, know, if I die, I'll come haunt you. <laughs> like, yeah. Sure, I, I trust you. Let's do this. It's like
0: anytime someone says like, you know, I'm honest or that it's like, no, you're not. So it's like, oh, gosh, why did he say you're not? Right,
1: right. You know, and he, I mean, he in his own wonderful way was just humorously telling me, you know, take this opportunity, trust me. Mm-hmm. And it did. And when I went um to the meeting, it was Lena Danielson sitting there, who's the head of innovations for the Absolute company. And she told me that Absolute was looking to extend their brand into new industries and had decided that the art market was um, their chosen field. And would I do what I was doing with Art Remba for them as Absolute Art and come head up that division? And at that point, it was interesting yeah. But I was confused. <laughs> yeah, I mean I
0: think absolutely I think vodka. <laughs>
1: I do too and 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 more than that it was a vodka that I, you know, had this in the back of my head I knew there were these great advertisers so I really saw it as advertising as well and I just didn't completely understand um what the proposition was. But uh, two weeks later, sure enough, the CEO of Absolute um, at the time, Paul Duffy, flew over and he sat me down. He explained to me, "No, Absolute was really interested in going into a new industry. You know, they could have gone into Absolute Hotels or Absolute Bars or Absolute Restaurants, similar to how Bulgari or Armani are now in hotels with namesake hotels." or uh, Red Bull, for example, with their media house, Um, or Virgin with everything under the sun, right? Um, And he explained that actually this has really been 30 years in the making. And by that, he meant that Absolute has worked with artists for over 30 years Um, starting with Andy Warhol, which kicked off Mm. uh, over, which we should talk about later because it's a great story, over 600 collaborations. Um, And they'd worked with artists around advertising and sponsorship, but they'd never actually done that last step of connecting the artist with the collector, right? Mm -hmm. So they were great at finding this talent and showcasing it globally, but they never connected the artist with the collector. And that's what Absolute Art would be all about. It would be their first new business division and subsidiary dedicated to closing the gap between artists creating and people collecting. Um, and he said, you know, what's it going to take to get you on board and sort of name your terms and and come do this with us? And I, and I really was taken aback by how entrepreneurial and forward-thinking And true to their heart and DNA, uh, Mm. Absolute was. Because that's a gutsy move, right? To say, forget it. We're not going to do something that would be normal in someone's minds. We're going to go back to the roots of who we are and say, what can we really add value? Which industry can we really add value to that maybe no other brand can? And it was arts. And I thought that was pretty cool.
0: That's great. Yeah. So let's, well, how, what made you then, so was it that meeting that you then said, okay, like, let's do this?
1: It was, I mean, it took me about nine months to fully come around. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that meeting, yes, sparked why I wanted to come to And then I did my own research, you know, I went to speak with a ton of artists and shockingly enough, all the artists I spoke to were super excited about this. They were like, I would love to be part of Absolute's heritage in the arts. they, they're rep listen I think integrity is not something you can buy yeah. right integrity is earned trust is earned and what I realized by having those conversations is that within the art world and with with artists in particular absolute head earned that trust. Now it's quite sexy for a lot of companies to I was say, dabble in the art. a trend
0: in, in brands working with artists. Absolutely,
1: now. but it's really that's really happened in the last 10 years whereas yeah. absolute's been in the game for over oh, wow.
0: 30, yeah. That's so let's talk about some of those stories. Yeah, <laughs> Andy Warhol and, the, yeah, Andy and how it Warhol's all gets, How did yeah? How did they? How did they work together?
1: This is so great. So, um, something that uh, people may not know, and I really didn't know, is that Absolute was started by one of the most badass entrepreneurs named Ello Smith. Um, and you know, alcohol in Sweden's controlled by the government, and he had figured out this. Uh, really incredible way to distill vodka. And he really was like, I want to sell this on my own terms. And so he went onto an island outside the jurisdiction and literally paid for ferry rides (laughs) for people to come and taste his vodka, right? So there's this wonderful entrepreneurial spirit that that kickstarted what Absolute has now become. And it's so funny because now you see it everywhere and you see it as this giant company. But that entrepreneurial kernel Is phenomenal. He's one of the coolest guys. Um, So, when the bottle was designed, the bottle was designed after an old Swedish apothecary bottle. And they did consumer tests, right? And the consumer test came back and said, This will never sell. This is never happening. So, a Frenchman named um, Michel Roux was tasked to go to New York and just sell enough bottles to recoup the investment of that consumer test. He came to New York. Uh, he partied at Studio 54, became friends with all the artists. Michelle is great. I've had dinner with him on multiple occasions oh and he's God. so much fun. Has the stories, best stories he must have. he The best. And um, started partying with all these artists and Andy Warhol actually became obsessed with the bottle. He didn't drink, but he used it sort of as cologne and carried it as a bag and finally said uh, –
0: Wait, was, wait, say that again?
1: Yeah. <laughs> he, he just
0: – He didn't drink.
1: Yeah. But <laughs> he used the
0: vodka as cologne. cologne and, and carried, carried it, it as – I
1: mean, we're talking Warhol, you know, on yeah. his own terms. Yeah. And he just loved the design, right? This design. Um, So he basically finally asked, like, I love this design. I want to do something with it. And that kicked off those – plenty advertisements that you see now, um, you know, Absolute Warhol. And then he brought all his friends, Absolute Herring, Basquiat, all the way through to Damien wow. Hurst and, and Subodh Gupta. And it started off um, a really wonderful collaboration between Absolute and artists around advertising and sponsorships, um, not only with name brand artists, but also with emerging talents. You know, Ron English famously says that, before he worked with the brand, he was living broke on Avenue D and no gallery would really touch him, right? So uh, Absolute worked with these artists and in a really, really radical way, mm-hmm. right? So they never put rules on anything. Initially, they had a few rules in place and, you know, the artist broke every single one and Absolute was like, great, you yeah. you go do that. They They really stood behind causes before they were... Uh, safe to stand behind, mm. right? Uh, LGBTQ rights, all of this, pro- I mean, all these causes that are now quite cool to stand behind. Absolute has always been ahead of the curve mm. in um, standing behind things. It, it
0: sounds, I mean, it, it was in such an authentic way, which is-
1: Such an authentic way. And most people don't know that these artists alongside those advertisements created original works of art, which are now housed in the Sprite Museum in uh, Stockholm. Wow. So it's a whole house collection. It's amazing.
0: That's a great, we should do a whole episode just on that. You on the, should, you should
1: meet Mia. She's the, she heads up uh, the Spirit museum and she, you absolutely should. It's an amazing story.
0: Amazing. So what, Um. so you decided to join your, your concern. I mean, did you have any concern you thought about for nine months, any key concerns that you, you, you thought about or just working even as an entrepreneur within a large organization and what, what that might, You know, affect how you operated.
1: Of course, yeah. I had all the concerns. Yeah, (laughs) right. I had all the concerns. uh, One on the side of is this an authentic story? Um, And you know, to me, I I wouldn't work on anything I didn't believe in. My heart was um, coming from a real place, Mm -hmm. and that's all of the things that we just discussed. And the other big concern was, you know, what would it be like working in a big company? Um, But And because I had worked in big companies before, and I do know the structures, but what was incredible with Absolute was it was very clear from the beginning um, from both uh, the CEO and the head of innovation that I would be reporting directly to them. Um, The other uh, person on the team and now my co-founder is um, Marcus uh, Ledo, who is absolutely phenomenal. And um, I... I think, you know, when you put us together, you would say immediately either this is never going to work or it's going to work brilliantly. And for us, it's been the latter. And, you know, I had all these concerns about it, but having Marcus as a counterpart really helps us sort of stay in our little bubble enough to be able to be creative. And then um, the structure in place at Absolute for Innovation allows us to breathe enough To and not get stuck in red tape, right? Because we can go right to the decision makers.
0: I want to take a quick break to tell you more about our Patreon page. As you know, here at State of the Art, we want to build the art and tech community, increase the conversation, and we love bringing you guests from across the art and tech world. But the thing is, there's so much more we want to do. We want to continue to bring you great guests. We want to do live podcasts. We want to increase the frequency. To do that, though, we need your support. Visit our page at patreon.com slash stateoftheart. Pledge just a dollar and you'll get access to exclusive content, behind the scenes footage, and a chance to be our super fan of the week. And let me tell you, this is pretty cool. Super fans will get a shout out on next week's episode. And... A chance to show your art and tech, thoughts, events, or whatever within our social feeds. So go to patreon.com slash state of the art and become one of our patrons today. Now, back to the episode. So you now have graduated from your MBA. You've joined full time. I assume that was the point. What like how did did uh, did the model change? From what was Art Ramba? Did it stay the same? Like, how did it evolve at that point?
1: Yeah, so it evolved in a few key ways, right? So, um, with Absolute Art, our mission is really to make art as easy to discover and consume as music. And part of that uh, initiative is to have accessible price points. So, with Art Ramba, I was working, you know, with $250,000 $250,000 pieces upwards. Uh, with Absolute Art, we're really looking at the $150 to $6,000 mark. And for our B2C consumer, it's direct sales, right? But we're also working with our B2B partners, which we work with in terms of all types of uh, deals. So mm-hmm. rentals, also direct sales, art consulting, etc. So the model absolutely evolved Especially into the different ways in which we engage Mm -hmm. with uh, our consumers.
0: What was the biggest difference for you in kind of thinking about, let's, you know, selling? I mean, a price point that was, you know, a thousand times less on average of what you were selling before?
1: I mean, it's a completely different game, right? It's a completely different game. One thing that was super exciting though was. The caliber of artists we were mm-hmm. able to work with at that price point, right? Something that the Absolute brand afforded us to be able to do was go to incredible artists and ask them to create an edition, even if they've never created, assigned a numbered edition before. And they did so for us because they know the commitment of Absolute in the art world. So there was that trust there, right? The way we typically work is now it's much more it's much more about exploration, which is so much more fun, right? We go into cities all over the world from Stockholm to Berlin to LA to just Havana just recently, right? And we work with local curators who are deeply respected. And the local curators will send us a list of maybe 30 artists. And then I'll literally hop on a plane and we'll go artist studio to artist studio, meet all the artists and... Create a selection that we think is representative of that city, and in that similar vein, we also do it by themes. We've done um, women by women, for example. Mm. We'll do co-curations. We just did a wonderful uh, co-curation with um, with Nada and Heather Hubs. So it's it's really evolved into much more of an exploration, mm-hmm. and that's something that that lower price point affords, right? It yeah. affords you to just meet a. Whole whole bunch of new talents
0: yeah and and so you mentioned editions. so the lower price points are done as as limited edition prints correct Whereas Signed and numbered. the yes. rentals i assume is still originals. originals correct so in traveling around like what is the like how does that process work and you know and why is that important to you to go to all of these artist studios and how many artists do you have
1: We have over 200, and I think the reason it's important to us is because something that we feel is lacking uh, is contextualization, right, in the online art space. So oftentimes you are bombarded with a bunch of JPEGs, but it's so easy to forget that there was an actual person who has dedicated their entire lives to that to the creation of that artwork, right? Mm -hmm. So for us, being in studio with the artist and then. Taking that experience and mirroring it online with very low-key videos with the artist in studio and also on the streets of their city, sort of in their favorite pizza spot, right? And really sort of seeing that artist as a creator, as a person that you're talking to, is one of the ways we like to collapse any border of intimidation and also contextualize the work so people feel really engaged in uh, their discovery process.
0: Yeah, the um, you know, I love on on the site how you you call out videos as like in the main bar because I think that story. I mean, it comes down to the story is so important for, uh, you know, sort of understanding who the artist is and, and thus the artwork itself.
1: Absolutely, and I think the minute you see an artist video, you realize. Why on earth am I intimidated by this? Yeah. Right. This is so cool. I just want to meet more. Right. <laughs> that's that. And then that's, you want to tell right? the story. You just want to tell the story. You want to meet more artists. It really just breaks down all the pretension and the sort of stickiness that you feel, perhaps before you've actually made that leap into discovering artists and artworks.
0: Yeah. What? Um. So I mean, thinking about that, how? I mean, there's video. I recently saw this app an artist created with uh, augmented reality where you could like. Have them sit on your couch and like tell you as like a hologram, you know, about themselves. Are they
1: miniature or are they like full on?
0: You know, (laughs) like you hold your phone out and then there's like you can do one where it's like a door and you walk into the studio. I mean, do you see using, I mean, video has become more prevalent uh, you know, with sort of uh Facebook and Insta stories? I mean, do you see doing more video or even AR?
1: Absolutely. We're yeah. we're absolutely exploring that right now. I think um, one of the key elements that we're trying to uh, focus in on at Absolute Art is to make sure that we are covering everything from discovery to display, right? I love that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> how do you help someone discover the perfect artwork, but then how do you also help them display it perfectly? So if you think of that A to Z journey, there are a lot of parts of it. So first you need to create an environment that's curated and feels trustworthy and is, you know, just a no brainer for someone to go in and explore and feel safe exploring from that selection. Right. And that's what we're doing sort of with the videos and online content. But then you also want a little bit of help. Right. So we have, you know, little things like live chat, or if if you've even been a collector of an artist and that artwork sells out, we'll oftentimes launch a new artwork at the artist studio and take you and graduate you to that next level of actually meeting the artist if you're in the city. Right. So we 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 never want to what we call dump you at checkout. Yeah. <laughs> right. We want to be Another with you <laughs> for the whole journey. So even when you have per- made the artwork purchase, we want to make sure that we're shipping within 48 hours, that you receive the artwork framed, that it comes in beautiful, sustainable packaging, that you receive, you know, little dinner table talking points to know how to talk about Do you your really art. Like you? <laughs> We've started doing that for sure, Um, but we really want to be your partner in crime, so to speak, in your whole exploration of the art world, and then even finally to hanging the art on the wall, right? You and I were talking about this a little bit yesterday, but um, we launched something called Hang Smart, which is... uh, (laughs) the story is kind of funny, actually. We were sitting around um, having to do a big installation the next day of many, many works. And we get a text uh, from our installer being like, can't do it. (laughs) Like, wait, what? (laughs) Can't do it? Um, Okay. Uh, Okay. So let's, let's, you know, Google has the answer to everything, right? So let's just Google easy way to hang art and see what the next step is. First thing that comes up hire an installer. Great, we tried that we one. Tried that one. <laughs> it happened. Fail. Um second thing that comes up is here's this giant system with tons of pulleys and strings that you have to, you know, wait 3 weeks to arrive and it's horribly expensive. And we just Marcus and I looked at each other and thought, is there really no simple way to hang art? And we just sort of sketched out what our ideal thing would be, which is if there was a wall mount that allowed you to move the artwork right, left, up, and down without taking it off the wall, if it leveled or automatically, i to
0: do another nail because you did it exactly, too low exactly. Too high. Yeah. I mean,
1: think of gallery walls, right? How much measuring and marking up yeah. you have to do, um, and also, can it level on its own? Like, what are all these ideal things? I mean, it's nothing. It's not rocket science, right? It's like a post-it. It's just something that should exist in the world, right? And um, we partnered up with a friend of ours, uh, Alexander Lurvik, who is an industrial designer, because in Sweden, that is who your friends are, right? Yeah. Industrial designers. As one does. Uh, as one does. And um he was like, not only, you know, because we asked, will this work? And he said, you know, not only will this work, I want to be a part of it. Um, So we launched this, uh, this wall mount called HangSmart that allows you to mount your artwork on the wall, move it. Any way you want, and have it be perfectly level. And um, it was a great experience. And we were, you know, shortlisted as one of uh, Fast Company's most innovative products of 2017. Wow. We decided, like, is this really something that people are interested in? Let's put it on Kickstarter and see if pre-orders even exist. And and more importantly, Kickstarter audience are they're super smart and um and helpful. So let's. We're sure there's a million problems with it. Let's hear all the problems and then iterate to version two. But the point being, we're really looking at everything from that discovery moment all the way to the display moment of helping the consumer and also helping the artist. So with the artist, for example, we we share profits 50-50. We're entirely Mm. transparent with all of our pricing, how much everything costs us to do. And we really want to help them. Uh, reach the best audience and from a collector's point of view we really want it to be easy to live with art that you
0: yeah i love the 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 discovery to display and you know we did a survey and found that i mean people's art sits sort of against the wall for several months you know just waiting (laughs) it's it's like the worst thing they're trying to figure out how to do it and then you know we also found through that that the you know the number one reason people haven't bought their next piece of art is because they haven't hung their previous one you know, and you haven't shared the stories, like you say, with the tips that you give them on the, how to do at a dinner party, right? And that's that's what gets them ultimately excited and becoming, you know, fa- fans.
1: Yeah, and they become ambassadors not only of absolute art, but more importantly, they become ambassadors for those artists, yeah. right? And and those stories spread. It's so true. I mean, I have so many rolls mm-hmm. of art <laughs> by my door uh, that are wrapped horribly unsustainably. And I I know how to frame it, but it's expensive and it's difficult. And I yeah, and I don't really have the time. And so, you know, Marcus always says, like, how do we create an unboxing experience that feels like Apple, right? Like how do we create that moment for the consumer? And so we worked really hard. Like everything should arrive in the frame, in a frame and easy to get onto your wall. There should be no excess plastic. Everything should look beautiful. And why not? Art is a beautiful is a beautiful thing. The experience around it should be just as wonderful, mm-hmm. right? And that seamlessness is what keeps people coming back and nice. makes it uh, accessible to interact with.
0: Yeah. Do the um? Do you see the the uh, people who are buying? And I always struggle with this word. Do you call them like a buyer, a collector, a patron? It's hard, a right? Consumer. <laughs> you know, do, are they a lot of them sort of like early buyers, collectors, first time collectors? And do you kind of see them then? getting more and more excited either because they're coming back and selling or they're emailing you stories and kind of evolving. Are these more mature collectors? that are, are just adding to their collection.
1: It's, it's interesting that you bring up the point of what what to call them. And, and we really call everyone our community, whether it's the artist or the end consumer, right? Mm-hmm. And I think something that our community would echo back to us is how inclusive Absolute Art is, mm-hmm. right? Which means that we attract a community that really spans the spectrum. We have new collectors absolutely, but we also have very seasoned collectors who might be seasoned in western art collecting but they have no idea what's happening in the Hong Kong art scene and they use us as sort of an entry point to learn about it. So, I think we I think it it sort of the we really like to think about it in terms of psychographic mm-hmm. instead of um demographics and the reason being because it's really anyone who wants put something incredible on their wall, mm. right? And that is the – we have the 24-year-old collector. We also have the 62-year-old collector. Mm-hmm. And they both interact with us in very similar ways. It's interesting. It's because they both have the same pain point.
0: Yeah. You mentioned Hong Kong. It made me think Like, uh, with within the 200 artists that you have, are they geographically sort of from all over? And was that intentional?
1: It was intentional. It was intentional because uh, going back to the whole discovery and display piece, we said, okay, if – sky's the limit. Mm -hmm. What's the most fun way to discover the art world? Mm -hmm. We're like, it'd be so cool to just go to artist studios all over the world, right? Like just as it is to travel. So why don't we do that? Why don't we pick the cities that we know are super exciting in terms of their art scenes and just go there and, and showcase... The art scene itself because the art scene itself has a personality mm-hmm. right it, just as much as all the artists within it so you'll see on the site not only the artist videos but you'll see like if you look at her, our havana collection you'll see a compilation video of the havana art scene in wow. general right so we I'm wanted like over to here just
0: looking at the site right yeah. now like <laughs> this is amazing
1: so we just wanted to bring all these stories to life and so that was the intention there it was how if we had no barriers no uh no restrictions, how would we want to explore the art world? And Mm -hmm. that's how we thought about it. And then it was also, we're very, very conscious of really doing our best to show a diverse group of voices. Mm -hmm. Because especially in the time that we live in today, it's It's everyone's responsibility, right? Yeah. to bring these voices to the forefront because art is just a great entry point into difficult conversations. So um, for example, in Havana, we uh, one of the art, you know, we have Los Carpenteros and Glenda Leon and big names like that. But some of the emerging artists like Hamlet Lavastida, For example, he had been kicked out of Havana for all the political art he was creating. And when I visited his studio, I was looking at the work and I was like, Hamlet, this is more more political (laughs) than any of the work that I've even seen of yours. Aren't you afraid? And he was like, if I don't tell the history of my country, who, who will? And that is such a powerful thought, right? So So the... The privilege of bringing those voices to light mm-hmm. is just wonderful and that diversity of thought.
0: Wow. What – I mean, so as you grow, I mean, some of these ideas you've talked about with sort of the end-to-end experience and renting and having artist studios all over. I mean, how do you think about scaling these um, these difficult challenges?
1: Yeah, it's all part of the fun, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think the, the next chapter for us is really nailing the balance between online and offline mm-hmm. activations because um, what we're seeing increasingly is that creating offline experiences that are purely experiential, right, really drive an online momentum and vice versa, mm-hmm. right? So they work very much in tandem and understanding how best to, to turn that knob up to turn the volume up on that balance is what we're focused on next. Um and then for us it's really just finding quicker and better and more seamless ways to sort of bridge that gap between the artist creating and the person collecting.
0: What what would your uh, community be surprised to know about maybe something you guys are doing behind the scenes um that maybe they don't see on the, on the front the forefront?
1: We do our best to look very, um, polished in everything that we do. Uh, but I think what people would be surprised at is how small we are. We're a really tiny team. Um, I think 15 in total, probably eight core members. And, you know, you hear absolute and you think this giant company, uh, which is all true, but that's, our big brother. That's not (laughs) us, right? And so we're a tiny team. When I tell you the story of the boxes that we created, the way we tested those out was we put a frame in them and started throwing them across the office <laughs> to see what's the worst FedEx could do here, right? Yeah. Or if you see, you know, copy going up or shoots happening, like the videos that you see, we're there on site, packing boxes, moving everything. Uh, we are really in the trenches. Um, and I think people would be surprised to know that. But it's also, I think, what is allowing us to build a very strong community. I have most of the artists in my phone, you know, mm. we can text them and just ask them a question. If an opportunity presents itself, I can just text, I actually did yesterday, um, text an artist and say, I think this would be great for you. Um so it's allowing us to be very hands-on with the building of that community.
0: That's great. I mean the other things that you, you talked about, I mean you talked about sort of like the shipping and the hanging and you know, those aren't as sexy as the videos and the, you know, studio visits. I mean, there are other things that either you're thinking about or that you think within sort of the broader art community should be thinking about to sort of, you know, drive that connection or support artists in a, maybe a, a less sexy, boring way.
1: I love the unsexy part of this entire equation. I think that's really where technology can... Have a true impact. Mm-hmm. I think the sexy parts are fun to talk about, but um, where it can technology can be truly disruptive is the unsexy parts. So you know we're looking into everything from using blockchain for certification, uh, which you know has its problems. But let's see the evolution. To we found a problem ourselves, which was. Signing, doing the signing and numbering for the artist was prohibitively expensive, you know, shipping things back and forth, right? So we said, how do we make this an on demand system, but in a really authentic way? And we just thought, okay, at the time, Obama must do this all the time, right? He must sign things legally binding across borders. So we just reached out to the company who was helping him do that. And we said, can we start building a proprietary technology that allows us to do that with artists? So that is part of our offering now. So we're always looking at the next chapter. I love (laughs) that you looked
0: at some like completely different... I mean, I, industry or area. Well, right. How they approached it, and this is
1: where the jungle gym and the cross disciplinary thinking comes full circle, right? It's it's don't don't sort of get stuck in your own lane, but if if you're open to how other industries are solving problems, you'll obvi- obviously find applications that can be beneficial to your own.
0: Yeah. So this has been so much fun. You talked about how you know your next thing is the online offline. Uh, connection but if you think about absolute art in 10 years, 50 years, 100 years, I mean what's the vision?
1: I mean the North Star vision is, you know, to be the number one destination for people to discover and live with art they love and to just eliminate any borders and collapse every single border that's keeping that from happening.
0: That's great. So when people say absolute they think Are you talking about The Art or The Vodka Company?
1: That's the dream.
0: I love it. (laughs) This is so much fun. I don't want to let you go, but I think in the interest of of the audience, I will. But before I do, can we do a quick rapid fire?
1: Okay. Yeah, sure. Let's do it.
0: All right. Uh, What's your favorite book for young and aspiring entrepreneurs?
1: Oh, my goodness. The Art of Compassion by Dalai Lama.
0: Okay. Wow. Uh, Favorite barbecue in Austin?
1: I'm vegetarian, so a little harder, (laughs) but uh, you know, you know, we've been talking about this for the last two days. (laughs) Torchy's tacos was unbelievable. They have a fried avocado taco situation, which I have on repeat.
0: Yeah. By the way, we're down at at South by Southwest. Um, And so we've been discovering a lot of tacos and barbecue. All right. Who's your favorite artist right now?
1: Oh, it's like picking between children. You can't ask me that. Oh. Uh, I really love political art. Um, mm-hmm. That's sort of my personal bent. Um, so I'm loving a lot of the African artists right now. And not to do any spoiler alerts, but that's where we're focused uh, at the moment for our next collections. Wow. Yeah.
0: Really bringing it full circle to where you were, where you grew up.
1: Yeah, I think so much creativity is happening there. It's amazing.
0: Okay, so you're like a, a real life Wonder Woman. <laughs> Thinking about a superpower, what would you rather have? Her lasso of truth or her invisible jet?
1: Her lasso of truth or her invisible jet? Oh my goodness. I think maybe the invisible one. The reason being, I think I I really am overall an optimist and I believe in the good in people. And I think if you make anyone comfortable, everyone feels comfortable telling the truth.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much.
1: Thank you. This was so fun.
0: Don't forget to follow Nahema and Absolute Art on Twitter at Absolute Art and Instagram at Absolute art or on Facebook at Shop Absolute Art. Be sure to check in next week with our guest, the one and only Scott Belsky, founder of Behance and now head of product at Adobe. You're not going to want to miss it. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review it. Leaving a review is super easy, and it helps listeners like you discover the podcast. Oh, yeah. And don't forget to check us out at State of the Art on Twitter for behind-the-scenes photos, a sneak peek to next week's episode, and really cool art videos you're going to want to show your friends. Until next week, this is your host, Ethan Appleby, signing off from State of the Art.